Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our expert series featuring our former colleague and head of our e-discovery and document review business, John Rikus. John is now the CEO of High Impact, a studio that specializes in litigation-related graphics. On this podcast, John talks with e-discovery leader Jeff Furman, vice president at Reveal Brainspace. Jeff and John discuss e-discovery pricing, flipping the funnel on document review, and partnership. Jeff Furman, thank you for joining. Want to give a quick intro of yourself? Jeff Furman, Vice President with Reveal. Spent the past 19 plus years in the e-discovery space. Had the privilege of working with you many, many moons ago. Indeed. Indeed. It has been uh, more moons ago than I think either of us can believe. But well, thanks for taking the time to join and talk about the wonderful world of discovery pricing. I'm sure for many of our listeners, a hot topic. So why don't I tee us up a little bit and give little background on how I've been thinking about this and why I thought you and I might have a discussion here. I have a few people who've heard me say that I feel there's a drastic misalignment between how we pay for discovery services and how people view the value that they've received. And whenever you have that disconnect between what you pay and what you see value in, that tends to lead to bad feelings and bad profitability. So the example I often give is... Imagine you went to a car dealership and somebody said, I've got this wonderful luxury car and fully loaded, has a sticker price of $80,000. I'm going to sell it to you for $10,000 and there's a catch. And I don't want anybody to come back later and say, I hid something from you. You've got to buy the gas from me forever. It's 12 bucks a gallon. It's much more expensive than any other gas pump you're going to go to. I want you to take a calculator, figure out how many miles you're going to drive. Here's how many miles per gallon it gets. I think this is a good deal, even with that pricing. I think it's much cheaper than if you were to buy it somewhere else. But I don't want you to come back to me pissed off in a couple months because the gas is expensive. I want you to know that today. You might very well get your calculator out, figure out what your cost of ownership is going to be. And I bet you'd find out that's going to be a very low cost of ownership. This is probably a fantastic deal in terms of total number of dollars you will spend owning that car. But how many months do you think you will go paying $12 a gallon buying gas from that dealer before you're going to feel pissed off looking across the street at normal gas prices? Not very long. Not very long is right. I feel like that's what we've gotten ourselves into in the discovery world. We charge people based on gigabytes, users. We used to bill all kinds of things by the page. I don't see too much of that anymore. And yet... I don't think there are too many buyers, especially when you go all the way back to you know a, a corporate legal department buyer for whom the gigabytes have any value. That's not a number that ties to anything for them. The case has a certain risk value to it, a dollar value assigned to it. Certainly people's time, they can sort of assess, but then gigabyte, not so much. And yet that's driven a lot of uh, pricing. So what are your thoughts first off just on that premise? It's the age-old thing, right? It's what's the common metric that you can measure to price something. And it's probably not much different than the billable hour within a law firm, which everybody says is, is going to go away, right? I find it the same as insourcing versus outsourcing. The pendulum swings back and forth every three to five years. The billable hour has not gone away. I actually see documents still being printed off of a, a printer. Um, so paper's not going away. But when it comes to discovery, I think it's the common thing to be able to price on. With that being said, there's a couple ways to look at it when pricing discovery, right? So somebody that's sitting on my side as a software provider in a SaaS environment, it's a very easy metric, right? You're going to pay per gig. It makes sense. 
On the services side, I think what's happened is it's a race to the bottom and people will price things so low just to win a job or win a client without any additional value being placed there. So I think when corporations look at this, especially some of those that don't deal with us on a regular basis, they look at, you know, they put a spreadsheet together, they put together provider one, provider two, provider three, and it becomes all about cost. Maybe they don't go with the lowest cost, but they're definitely not going with the highest cost. Whereas I don't know that they're thinking about the value. They're not thinking about the value that they're getting. I think that's right. And you brought up the billable hour and the spreadsheets. And I think that starts to kind of highlight where we have struggled to move the ball. Because the billable hour thing, everyone agrees. Well, how many hours my attorney spends on the case is not actually... That's not a great metric to measure how much value they have brought to it. And certainly, many conspiracy theorists who are not all that crazy have thought that perhaps somebody who's billing by the hour is not incentivized to work as efficiently as somebody who's not. So... But then everybody says, okay, yes, we should get away from the billable hour. And then they issue the spreadsheet when they do their RFP. And what is the column sorted by? It's sorted by billable rate per hour. And the same thing happens in the discovery world. Everybody says, ah, yeah, you know, I I don't want to do the standard pricing. I want to think outside the box. However, I have a spreadsheet and there's a box and I'm going to make it fit into exactly that box that I just said I want to think outside of. And all the other stuff sort of goes away. And what we end up doing is we kind of, I joke that we price the way we do because our fathers and their fathers before them did it. And it's a little bit of madness that we can't seem to get out of. I don't disagree. You know, I think thinking back to probably even eight or nine years ago, I had a data analytics consulting practice and we would try and sell. If you spent an extra 20 hours up front on a case, we will save you a significant amount of money on the back end by starting to get to the heart of the matter weeding out some of the stuff that's not necessarily relevant. And then I had the privilege of doing a webinar a month or two ago with two industry experts, both still pitching the exact same thing. And they said, it's hard for them, even with their corporate clients. One was on a provider side, one was in a law firm. Said, look, we will sit down with you. You're going to spend a little more money up front. We're telling you that right now. But we are going to save you a significant amount on the back end of your discovery. And still to this day, I think it's a challenge to get somebody to buy into that. It's a rush to review. We want you to process the data as quickly as possible, run some search terms, and get it into review. You know what I think is kind of an unusual nuance of the pricing and discovery in particular? There are a lot of areas where, at least when you think about even hourly billing, somebody who is buying services in an hourly model is perhaps buying on a metric that is not relevant to the value that they receive. For the person selling it, it is at least relevant to them. I only have so many hours per day. And if you're going to take up X number of them, that is a very relevant metric to me as a seller. It's not a very customer-focused way of pricing. But as a seller, it at least is rational. Gigabytes have always been unusual to me because it's actually not that relevant to anybody. If you are... Look, your software environment now, and uh, I think you could agree that Gigabyte hosting charges are not a major driver of your costs for your business. Software development is a major cost for you guys. Having the corporate overhead you have, sales, marketing, all kinds of other things, there are a number of other things that are relevant to you, with of course development sort of being the obvious one. But hosted gigabytes really aren't so much. And so we have this proxy that we're using that's kind of irrelevant to both parties, right? If you look at it in that kind of snapshot, I can't disagree with you. The one thing I would say is the problem is a lot of people are going to charge you for hosting. They're going to charge you for user licenses. They're going to charge you for analytics. They're going to charge you for a lot of other things. So what we've done, and and it's yet to be proven whether we're right or wrong, 
our common metric is pure gigabytes. We said, you shouldn't have to pay for users. Users shouldn't drive how many licenses you need. At the end of the day, we want to provide a platform where you could have one user, you could have 500 users. That to us isn't something that you should be necessarily charged for. The second piece is any additional ancillary value you bring within your platform, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's applying translation, transcription, any of that stuff, that should all be wrapped into one common price, right? Where I think the problem is if you look at just the per gigabyte by itself, it may not make sense. However, if you can tie everything, those users and everything else into it and give somebody, this is going to be your single line item, it's a little easier for the consumer to be able to A, they understand it. And B, for somebody like yourself or somebody at an advisory firm, they're like, okay, we can now wrap our services around that. And there's value in our services that we're going to wrap around that. But when you've got 15 different line items that you're charging for discovery, especially on the software side, it just doesn't make sense. I think you're getting into an important topic here, which is putting aside whether or not it's the closest analog to value, it's at least easy to understand. And so we sometimes use this term internally of decomplexifying. It decomplexifies the price sheet. I do think that that's a worthwhile effort. It's interesting. Anytime you deal with somebody who's new to the discovery world, they look at the e-discovery platform's price sheet for the first time. And by new to it, I mean anyone who's been in it for less than 5 years. They look at the price sheet and their head kind of explodes. And you ask them to put together an estimate and they get it massively wrong. They don't ever understand it on the first try. So what you've done with at least simplifying it down, that certainly is moving us in the right direction. One thing that I have thought about in my time at Elevate, what if we move to a different metric as our sort of key to everything. And I focused for a while on a per-document price model, which we tested in the market. And I'll be honest, it wasn't very successful. Keeping in mind, we're value-added resellers. We have the platforms that we leverage. And we've also got our project managers who then are are sort of part of that value-added piece of the puzzle. And then we've got our doc reviewers. So we said, okay, we want to make sure that we are rewarded when we do what benefits our buyers. And we want to make sure we're not being rewarded when we don't do that. And how should we go about it? So we tried a price model where we priced everything by the document. And effectively, there was an incentive to us for documents that got culled out and didn't need to go to review that increased our profits and also helped bring the overall total bill for the customer down in those situations. But where we had to review, we didn't go underwater, but we became minimally profitable the more review we needed to do. And so we had a kind of unusual take now on that. And the only way that that was going to work is if we could get people to come to us from the beginning of a case and partner for the full discovery and doc review process. We thought that was a pretty straightforward message. We thought that would work. And it was interesting how the only people who ever really engaged in the conversation said, Oh, great. What I'm going to do then is I'm going to call my documents down before I bring them to you. And then I'm going to get that really punitive rate that you've applied for the review. And I'm going to just have you review the stuff I've already called, but I'm not going to you know, collaborate with you on how to bring that volume down. And we said, uh, this was the only thing that was in the fine print. And that's a no-go. That doesn't qualify as partnering with us. So long story short, it, it didn't work out despite a best effort there. And I don't know that we've ever cracked that code. But I do still think that the per-document metric might be key to better aligning people's perception with what they get. What are your thoughts on that? So if we look at it, especially from a review context, right? So where I think it it should be an easy sell is in review. If you're going to talk about per hour, and then you've got some people who put up standard 50 docs per hour, 60 docs per hour, whatever that is, then they're going to do an analysis or an estimate based on you know the 100,000 docs they have to review or the million docs they have to review. And they're going to say, okay, 
divided by that, it's going to be X amount of hours. Well, what they didn't take into consideration is there's a ton of spreadsheets. There may be files that are 40 pages long, and now your docs per hour are down to 30. And so the bill is twice as much as they thought, right? And so what you end up then is an irritated client who then tends to string out what they're going to pay, when they're going to pay. And then they start negotiating on that. When at the end of the day, you know as well as I do, it's a very heavy labor arbitrage, right? And doc review. And you're right. The margins have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. I can think back to when we were charging $95 an hour. It wasn't that long ago. And so I think about a per doc, that is why you say you don't necessarily the arbitrage on a gig. A doc is another thing that you can kind of measure, right? So if I'm going to charge you per doc and you know you've got a million docs, it's going to cost you a million dollars for this review. That's plain and simple. If I get it done in two weeks or if I get it done in six months, it shouldn't necessarily matter to you. I shouldn't be penalized for the advanced analytics that I'm using, the extremely smart people that I have. At the end of the day, you're incentivized to do it as quickly as you can and efficiently. And if you don't, you are going to eat into your margin. And in some worst case scenarios, you may even lose on a project, right? So it makes sense to me. I'm more interested in understanding where the challenges were for you and your team and Elevate as you talk to Corporation A, B, C, and you sit down and because it should be an easy thing, what you're providing them is predictability. And that's something that for the last 10 plus years, that's all people have asked for. We want predictability. I don't mind if I spend a little more. I just want to know what I'm going to pay. It's interesting you bring up the per document doc reviewer pricing because that's something that has become more and more standard in which we've sold, we'll call it about half of our projects currently are sold on a per document base instead of hourly. And what's interesting is everybody always asks you at the front end to give an estimate for what it would be if you do it hourly and give an estimate for what it would be if you do it per document. And they don't realize, of course, the front end estimate for the per document model will always be a little bit higher than that front end estimate for hourly because you're buying an insurance policy from us. That's what you're buying is that we're saying, we think it's going to cost us X number of dollars to do this review. But because we're going to guarantee you that rate, we're going to charge you a little bit of a premium on top of that. And as long as we can adhere to what we said, we get to keep that little premium. And if we don't, we own the risk. And you know, you never do a doc review project on a per document basis and have somebody complain after the fact. You do sometimes when you do it hourly because they say, oh, well, you, you, know, you thought it was going to cost X and all the things you just said happen. Well, you ended up giving us you know, a million spreadsheets. You changed the coding template on us a bunch of times. All these things sort of changed in the course of it. And you said you wanted to pay on the hours. That's life. You didn't buy the insurance policy. But so many people, they ask to see both. They're surprised that the per document on the front end has a higher estimate, which I can't imagine why you'd be surprised. Of course, that's how this works. It's not magic. And then they're upset afterwards when they choose hourly and it ends up costing more. And to your point, the funny thing I remember back in the day, and I don't know that this happens anymore, people will say, all right, show me the hourly, show me the per doc, and then I want to pay on whichever is lower at the end. No. It's like, do you want to pay for travel insurance or do you not? You may pay a little more for travel insurance, but guess what? That's going to protect you in the instance that anything happens. If you don't buy that travel insurance, then none of this stuff's going to be covered when things go awry. Not necessarily germane to this discussion, but we're renovating our garage. And the guy came in the other day. He said, okay, here's the floor we're putting down. Here's the walls we're doing. This is your price. And I looked at him and I thought that fits within my budget. I looked right at the guy. I said, that works for me. I said, I'm not going to argue. At the end of the day, I want to get a good price, but I also want you to make money. I'm not going to stand here and argue for an hour and try to beat you down and beat you down and beat you down when you're now less incentivized to do a great job on my garage. And so I think that's the problem in that if you find some buyers that are great, they're partners, right? They're people who say, we love the service you provide and we're willing to pay you what that premium is. And then you have other people 
who don't care and are going to be up and be up and be up. And then those are the difficult clients. They pay the least, and then they are ultimately the ones who cause you the biggest problems, or at least that's what I've seen. Given that, that there's been some success in moving people to a per-document model on the review side, do you think there would be success in trying to move people to a similar model on the data side of it, the discovery side? I guess the question is, is a doc a doc a doc? Or will we just keep running up against the spreadsheet problem? So if I've got a million documents and they're one-page documents, and Company B over here has a million documents that are all 40-page PDFs, now are we talking about we have to actually think about pages per doc? Are there other things that we're not necessarily thinking about when you quantify it as simple as a document? Because not every document is the same. I think we run into more of that problem on the doc review side than I think we would run into if we switched our model over to a per document sell rate on e-discovery services. Which, by the way, it's something we had considered that this might be something that we as a service provider would do that translation and own that risk as an intermediary to you. We had considered, okay, with our software partners, they're going to price to us the way they price to us. But part of what we need to bring to our buyers is to translate that pricing into what matters to them, what brings value to them. And so we had started to look at this as something that we might just make that conversion, take that risk. And to the extent that somebody's data is different and it turns out that it blows up the per gigabyte cost, owning that risk is that's just part of our business. And we have enough data to work off of that we can see what the trends are. We know what our average document count per gigabyte is. And if we get one outlier case, so be it. Honestly, you know, it's with the document review labor where you've got a lot more risk in making those kinds of gambles. You can just bleed money extremely quickly if you're a service provider making that kind of a gamble. So if you're looking at it on a per doc level and it's about 10,000 docs per gig, we've been trending around 3,000. Slower, right? So it's lower when it used to be high, right? You go from 10,000 down to 3,000. So if you look at that and if you did that divided by, right? So if I did, let's just say $25 a gig is what you're charging. Let's just say that. Now you're looking at 0.008 cents per doc. And so now I'm going to ask you the difficult question. What's the difference between that and the difference between charging $25 per gig? Goes back to my car analogy at the beginning of this. Dollars spent, I think, align just a little bit closer to what somebody sees as valuable. I think that if you're an attorney working on a case and you might have started off as a young associate reviewing paper documents in a warehouse. A document is a thing in your head, much more than a gigabyte. And I think that a document, whether it's large or small, is a more salient item to you than a gigabyte, which might have just been this one file happened to have a whole bunch of data at the end of it. And so you're paying a gigabyte on this thing that's largely useless and meaningless to your case. I tend to find that to be a a unit that, at least in my head, aligns more to the value. I'll be the first to say, I still don't think it's a great proxy. but still doesn't really get to what's the value of your case. Because you could absolutely have a case that's soaking wet worth $20,000, but it happens to have a terabyte of data associated with it. You're going to end up with millions of documents and it's still going to blow everything out of whack. But I don't think we're going to get to the point where we can necessarily tie the discovery costs to the dollar value of the case. And as anybody in the legal world knows, the dollar value of the case is 80% of what everyone's arguing about anyway. There's never any agreement on what that really is. And if you think about this, is that a a one-time per doc or is that a monthly per doc? Because you're still storing and hosting that information, right? It's an interesting question. We had looked at both 
and have considered whether it's worthwhile. So the problem that I think we would run into as a service provider is if we simply charge a single fee, you know, a one-time fee for it, and then don't charge any hosting, you have a little bit of risk that people start just using you as an archive. And that, while I have no problem with it, except for the fact that our costs are tied usually to the hosting through software providers like yourself. And I'm not pointing fingers here or blaming you, but it, eventually the business model can really blow up on you if somebody goes too far with it. So they have a little bit too much of an ability to blow up the business model there. If you do it on a monthly basis, I think it de-risks it enough for a provider like us that we can sort of own whatever risk remains in that equation. Even though I think in a perfect world, my preference would be that it was just a one-time fee. So as I think about this, right, I think about Box, I think about Dropbox, I think about other things that I use to store documents. All of them still charge you though by the gigabyte and terabyte, right? They do. But that gets to, you know, I'm sure you've heard this comment that the per gigabyte charges with an e discovery platform are orders of magnitude greater than the per gigabyte charges from AWS or Dropbox or any of those services. And I think that gets right at the heart of that misalignment of value that we have is that people have a tendency when we're billing it on the gigabyte to say, well, the only other thing I pay for by the gigabyte is my Dropbox account, and it's a hell of a lot cheaper. And that's part of where I'm seeing this mismatch that we've got to address. Yes. And then I think back to hourly, right? So somebody's going to say, well, you're paying this person X amount per hour, but you're marking them up four or 500%. We've got hundreds of employees now. We've got 27,000 square foot of beautiful new headquarters in Chicago. All of that the executives, the marketing, the accounting, the sales, the ops, the R&D, all of that is tied into that per gig fee. You're kind of making my point though, that I agree with you on the costs. I suppose what I'm getting at here is I don't think anybody's bills are too high right now. I don't think your bill to us is too high. I don't think our bills to our customers have been too high. I think that we have costs as businesses that we have to recoup, but we are perhaps billing on a metric that just doesn't taste right to people. And that comes back to then what would be the right answer? Because look, we can all look at what our costs are. I can look at our project management team and say, instead of billing people by the hour, I'm going to bill by how many cups of coffee our project manager has to drink in the course of working on your project. And it's not like I couldn't figure out how much a person's salary cost over the time that they spent working on that project and how many cups of coffee is the number I'm going to divide that by and get to the answer. It just would be a silly metric. you know. It's a silly proxy. And I'm not saying the gigabyte is entirely silly. I'm just saying I am aligned with you that you as a business are operating at a different scale than AWS. You are not warehousing data in the sort of world that they are. And I actually am making the case that I think you are unfairly judged if you are trying to price in the same model as an AWS, where all they're doing is hosting data and it's not that Amazon doesn't have tremendous overhead, but Amazon also has tremendous scale to it in the markets that they are addressing. Whereas you are in a much smaller market here and you still have quite a bit of overhead that needs to be recovered here. And I guess just the question is, what else can we do to, to make people see that? Whether it's a gigabyte or per doc, I still think the focus right, is on the wrong area. right? So I think part of our pitch is AI everywhere was to drive automation and efficiency for our clients so that they could get to the information that matters at a time where they can save money, they can settle a case, they can decide to move forward with a case. I think all along it's been, let's just throw the gigabytes in, throw the gigabytes in. Maybe we're asking the wrong question, right? Where is the value in this whole e-discovery paradigm, right? 
Microsoft's GC years ago flipped that pyramid. The pyramid today is a funnel. It's a funnel where data comes in and it gets a reduction with keywords and date restriction and deduplication. It gets a further reduction here and a further reduction here. And then what you find out is 20% of your data is moving into review. And of that 20% of that data, how much of it are you actually producing? How much of it actually gets produced? So our goal is to flip that pyramid and get you to that, the documents that you're going to produce early on so that you don't have to necessarily worry about the rest of that data. And when I say don't worry about it, it's and probably coming saying this to you, which is a lot of businesses built around doc review is, can you limit the amount of doc review that you have to do? And that's where I think for people like you, there should be more value in the elevates of the world and their review teams. Can you have smaller review teams that are focused on getting to the information that matters? And what's the value you can bring on that? And that's where I think you get to an alternative fee arrangement. You get to something where you have a little skin in the game, they have a little skin in the game, and you should be rewarded for being more efficient. And I don't know today that you guys are actually rewarded for being more efficient in what you do. Occasionally, but not as often as I'd like to see it. Because I think you're right. You're getting at my goal as a business head has been, how can I align what somebody's paying to when we really bring value? If we're hitting singles, we should get paid less than when we're hitting home runs. If I'm going to charge you $300 an hour for my service, and I get you the results in 2 hours... That's $600 versus you paying somebody $100 an hour, but it takes them 10 hours. Just because I was more efficient to get you the exact results or better results in a shorter time frame, I shouldn't necessarily be penalized for that, right? I think it's the same thing in what we're talking about. And look, we could say, let's get away from the gigabyte. If you can do it, if you can get people around it, write it, and there's a way that it makes sense, I would all be for something that shakes things up. Unfortunately, I think today, tomorrow, 2022, 2023, it's going to be the gigabyte. And so, On the pricing, I don't even know that it's the pricing per gig. I think it's where's the value in this, right? If it's just as many gigs as you can put in, right? So what it is is somebody goes to the lowest bidder. They're like, oh, it's only $8 a gig to host there, or it's $2 a gig to host. So I'm going to throw 10 terabytes over. There's no incentive on the client to be thoughtful in how they're collecting that information, how they're turning it over to you. I think when prices, unfortunately, are a little higher, you get people to think a little more. But you said it earlier, like you spend so much time trying to articulate to the clients the value. And at the end of the day, they're going to put you in a box. At the end of the day, they're going to put you in a box and they're going to compare you. And it's what we've come up against, whether it's Reveal versus Everlaw versus Disco versus Logical versus Relativity One. Everybody's got different mechanisms for how they build, right? And do you know how hard it is for even software providers to articulate the value in their software? I told you earlier, we're going to give you one line item, one line item, but yet somebody's going to say, well, Rel One's cheaper on their hosting. No, no. They're cheaper on their hosting, but yet they're going to charge you for users. They're going to charge you a potential repository fee and another fee. And when you start to add those other fees in, it's not as cheap as what you thought. But they're looking at hosting versus hosting, not necessarily the other four or five line items. And I'm sure you guys run into the same thing. You can't necessarily articulate the value of Elevate in a spreadsheet. That's right. How do we tell people to go forward from here? And I suppose we just need buyers and sellers in this market to all really commit to a partnership, to really work with whoever you're negotiating with to figure out what are they really bringing to the table? What do they need out of that deal? And that applies regardless of whether you are buying services or selling services. It's figuring out what is it that the other side needs for this to make sense for them. And any good business deal, in my view, should be one where both sides would be perfectly happy with the outcome if everybody knew you know, through full transparency what the other side's profit was in that deal. That's kind of the hallmark of a good deal. If you're selling me an apple and I know you grow apples, I know it didn't cost you anything, but I also know how long it took you to grow the apples. When I pay you a dollar, 
I know you didn't pay anything for the apple. I know that you worked hard to grow the trees, etc. And so that sort of transparency, I'm happy to pay you that money. You're happy to receive it. What everybody should do is just genuinely engaging in that discourse and figuring out what are you trying to accomplish and what does your business partner need to make happen? What are your thoughts on that? There's a couple of things you said. The first is, you know, where do we go from here? I think for those that are listening to this, it's continue to think about it, right? It doesn't have to stop with this podcast. Have thoughtful conversations. Are there other ways that we can think about this? Other ways that we're not looking at this today, right? Because we've had tunnel vision on how we're going to price things, but be open, be a partner. And I gave you the analogy with my garage. It's the same way when I go buy a car. Buying a car is the most painful process for a lot of people. I don't want to sit in a dealership for eight hours and have somebody come back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to get to a price. What I typically say is, look, here's what I'm willing to pay. I want you to make a profit because at the end of the day, that salesperson's getting paid on, on the sale of that vehicle. The finance manager's getting paid on whether he can sell you a warranty or some undercarriage or like, I don't mind that. I just don't want to get completely railroaded when buying a car, but I also don't want to sit there for eight hours. You want to have partners, right? So I'm fortunate with, I would say 90% of the clients that I work with, they're true partners. It's why I enjoy working with them. I've had long relationships with them. People that are coming in and purely focused on what's the lowest price they can get. It's just not necessarily the conversation I want to have with somebody and they probably need to go somewhere else. And I would think that you may say the same thing from an Elevate standpoint. You're not necessarily wanting to work with people who want the lowest price every time. For us, we've definitely focused a lot on the importance of genuinely partnering and making sure that we're all working together. What's that worth from a price standpoint? Look, you know, we've never tried to be either the lowest cost provider or a premium price provider. Our approach to pricing has always been that we need a fair price and we want people to work with us. And we should not feel embarrassed if someone were to see exactly how much money we made on a deal. We want that to be something they could look at it and go, yeah, it's fair. I think that's how it should be. Parting thoughts, other than it sounds like I think we're both in agreement that everybody needs to be more careful about just using the spreadsheet blindly. Anything else you have to say for everybody? I think folks should continue to have thoughtful discussions around things like this and continue to think about other ways that we could potentially price things. I think a lot of people are open to it. I just know as well as you do, it's difficult to change. And as much as people say, wow, there may be a better way, it's always easier to resort to what they're comfortable with. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure not only having you here today, but also working with you over the last decade and a half. John, I greatly, greatly appreciate you inviting me to take part in this today. And as always, it's a pleasure. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com.